Sometimes it's a surprise to people that there are sizable numbers of Christians in the Middle East, but they've been there since apostolic times, and when Christianity moved west using Greek and Latin as their <coughs> literary language, uh, Christianity moved east using a dialect of Aramaic known as Syriac. And uh, it's this Syriac tradition that I'm largely concerned with. In the 6th century, there was a three-way split in Eastern Christianity, and it's this split which is still visible with further splits in the Middle Eastern churches today. I won't go through the different uh, communities because we haven't much time. Um, but I'll just point out a few places that will be important for us. We need to try and move a bit down. Can, can you move it down? Yeah. Yes, here we are. The there, which we saw the destruction of. Um, and I think that's Ankawa uh, and Abila. Those are the key ones that I, I'm concerned with. Uh, before the current situation, uh, there were about 10%, or said to be about 10% of the population of Syria was Christian, much less in Iraq, 3 or 4%, but, um, and this of course has changed enormously uh, in recent years. And although the whole population of these countries has been enormously affected, uh, proportionally probably the various minorities, Yazidi, Christian, um, uh, Mandian and so on uh, have suffered disproportionately badly and of course for the Christians it's a bitter irony that this year is the centenary of the massacres the Gen Armenian genocide in which the Syriac churches were equally uh, suffered. Now one of the main sort of cultural monuments of uh, the Syriac churches uh, are their manuscripts and the manuscripts really pertain their cultural history, especially as um, <clears throat> there's no written history for them since the 13th, 13th century. And it's from these manuscripts that one can build up a history of these communities, where they were, and uh, because at the end of manuscripts there were colophons, little notes by the copyists, uh, which often gave a very interesting historical information. Now these manuscripts still continue to be in use, uh, especially liturgically. They're now reproduced from handwritten copies, uh, photographically and distributed, but they're still written and often they are works of calligraphy. Now the major collections of Syriac manuscripts uh, or many of the major collections of the Syriac manuscripts that survive are already in the West. In London is particularly well provided in the British Library, Vatican Library too. But there are still a large number of manuscripts still in the Mi Middle East, uh, very important collections, which on the whole are not well known and often haven't been catalogued at all. Uh, these will belong to uh, bishops or patriarchates, um, 
local churches especially and also to private individuals. Uh, mostly uh, these are uncatalogued but there has been uh, some very good work at digitizing collections in recent years. The Hill Museum and, Man and Manuscript Library in, based in Collegeville in America has done some wonderful work and likewise the Centre Numérique uh, des Manuscrits Orientaux uh, which was largely um, started up by a Dominican priest in Mosul, Father Najib Mikhail. And some of the major collections in the Middle East have had to be moved several times a very important collection from Al-Kosh um, <clears throat> uh, was moved to Baghdad at the time of uh, Saddam Hussein's um, sort of levelling of north, uh, the Kurdish part of Iraq. And then, uh, much more recently, it had to be evacuated from Baghdad very quickly uh, to uh, Ankawa, where it is. Ankawa is just outside Erbil. And um, in the case of the uh, Mosul collections, uh, Mosul, which uh, we've heard fell to ISIS in June last year, uh, there are, must have been quite a number of Mosul collections of Syriac manuscripts in the different uh, churches. Uh, I remember seeing a wonderful 8th century manuscript in 1972 uh, in the Syrian Orthodox uh, bishopric. Uh, what has happened to that? Heaven knows. Uh, in the case of one or two collections, through the foresight of this Father Najib, um, the manuscripts have not only been rescued, about 2,000 manuscripts were rescued by him uh, and uh, uh, digitized. And these were first taken, the manuscripts first taken to Karakosh and then Isis took over Karakosh and just in time they managed to get the manuscripts to Ankawa where they are at the moment. Now a, a great tribute to Father Najib's work is a, uh, an exhibition that's just been on uh, in Paris and um, there's a wonderful catalogue which I received only yesterday uh, which although it's partly d devoted to centenary of the Dominican presence uh, in the Middle East, it has a lot about his work. Now, uh, my colleague Sebastian de Courtois uh, knows much more about his work and he will be showing some pictures too. So, hand over to you. Thank you very much. picture will stay with us a little bit. This is a view of the old city of Mosul from the Tigris, no, from the, yes, Tigris River. And it was taken in 1971 by a Dominican uh, first that I know, Jean-Marie Merigou, and I will show some pictures of him dating from this period. So it's a little bit, I would say, nostalgic now to see those pictures. I have to say that I'm kind of impressed to talk after such a uh, person and such talks. Um, Mine will be a little bit different, um, and I hope you will find an interest in it. Ladies and gentlemen, dear colleagues, 
I'm here before you this morning principally to tell you about some of my recent stays in northern Iraq. Do you, do you hear me well? Yes. I'm sorry for my accent. Um, being a resident of Istanbul for the last five years, I am covering this part of Middle East as a press journalist and radio, mainly from French, for French newspapers. I also write essays as a traveler, especially about minorities, such as old Christian communities in its diversity. As a scholar, still in process, I am working from an anthropological point of view about the Syriac communities in the southeast of Turkey, in the region called Tur Abdin, that I'm sure uh, you know, about which we have reflected with Professor Sebastian Brock a little bit. I am in charge also of the preservation of an important mosaic in the monastery of St. Gabriel in the same part of Turkey, eastern part of Turkey. This morning, my point of view is therefore that of a witness who is interested by history and by the present time in this part of the Middle East. This is a region, the frontier we're talking about, which dates back to the Sykes-Picot Agreement of 1916. I want to speak essentially of Syria and Iraq, a region that holds thousands of years of culture and is a key to several cultural universes, the worlds of the Arabs, Kurds, Turks, Turkmen, and Christians, Arameans, and a multiple of other groups, such as the Kurdish Yezidi. I also want to mention the forgotten presence of Jewish communities in what we today call Kurdistan. It's on this subject that I will show several images of the synagogue of Nabi Nahum at Al-Kosh, a place where I was uh, last summer and the summer before. In August 2015, I found myself with a photographer crossing the Turkish-Iraqi border to cover the flight of the Yezidi communities of Sinjar and the Christians of the plain of Nineveh after the fall of Karakosh, the small city that Professor Brock just mentions, in the vicinity of Mosul. These two communities were designated in the religious minority eradication project of the so-called Islamic State. Above all, the Yazidi communities, who has, was remarked to me by Monseigneur Haban, the Chaldean Bishop of Duok, frequently did not, did not even have the opportunity to convert. The men were systematically killed and the women were reduced into slavery. Many testimonies gathered by the United Nations at Erbil are a proof. Even if religious violence is not new in the Middle East, what seems to me to be an interesting addition to the conflicts that are gathering around us is the very specific attention brought to the destruction of history through its monuments. We've seen the drama of Palmyra and Nineveh on our screens. We saw it this morning also. We know less about the willful destruction of 18 mausoleum of the Yazidis located in the vicinity of Sinjar, a mountain sacred for them, of the destruction of many churches at Mosul. We saw a little bit of that of the transformation of the Church of St. Thomas in Mosul into a prison and a torture center. The libraries that have been burned, I think of the one of the Dominicans 
and the destruction of the mosque, both Thunni and Shia. The most important monument in this category was the Great Mosque of Mosul, which was on a mound that sheltered, according to the legend, the tomb of the Old Testament prophet Jonah, Jonas. It must not be forgotten. Here is a few pictures, but I will go fast because we saw them already. This is the main mosque, um, Nabi Yunus. And this is um, the old city of Mosul, and this is an entrance of a small church. I think in St. Thomas, but I'm not really sure about that. And this is a library. It's an interesting picture, very rare, of the Dominicans Library, taken again in 1971. So this one has been destroyed. And I will uh, leave that picture a little while so we can see the beautiness. I don't know if you see well. It's a wedding in a small Christian village in Kurdistan. This violence against history is organized by intelligent brains. People who know the past and who apply a precise program. The best thing to do in that prospect is to read their online magazine where everything is explained. For instance, they know and they explain that Christians have been installed in Mesopotamia for centuries. They know that this earth has formed rich cultures and it is this that they want to disrupt. We finally found you, one of them said to a man in his 50s, Yezidis, I was interviewing and we escaped from the massacre of Kocho. We finally found you. This war is total in the sense that it attacks the roots of the cultures we are talking about. It's a rare in a modern day conflict to see such relentlessness, such a display of destructions of ruins, which are innocent by definition. This process seems to have begun in Afghanistan with the destruction of the Buddhas of Bamiyan in March 2001. Also, of course, although, of course, sorry, there was mutual destruction of places of worship during the Yugoslavian wars in the 90s, including the annihilation of several Serbian monasteries in Kosovo. But let's not stay too far from our subject. Technically speaking, and I will be, uh, I will try to, to be short, I would like to underline two points. The first one is a difficulty to mention of the destruction of architectural heritage when people are being killed every day by bombs and terrorist attacks. The message does not always go over very well and ever angers some people. We have to, to be very careful of that aspect in our actions. We need to explain and explain over again. But this is an important idea. The idea of defending monuments and cultural heritage has bearers of hope and faith in the future. The second aspect will be our capacity to restrain or not our concerns about history in order to protect those monuments. The best example being Palmyra which has been destroyed 
for me for three reasons. First of all, to arm the Syrian government. Palmyra was a vitrine of the regime. Secondly, to dismantle consciously the roots of Syrian history. And last but not least, and I think we are all responsible for that, and especially me as a journalist, not, sorry, and last but not least, to please the world's media. On this specific accept, aspect, pardon, I would give my own little reaction when I was in Alkosh two summers ago, an important Christian village, while Isis was still in the surroundings. I did not mention on the radio, I was on the radio talking about the situation on live, the presence of this historical synagogue, thinking in a moment of conscious alarm, panic I would say, that if someone on the other side as we know many French-speaking guys are also there, would hear or learn about the monument, they would take the city only for the purpose of destroying it. I'm still trying to understand my reaction. Sometimes it's better not to say anything. In the same category, the director of the Syrian Antiquities in Damascus told me by phone that they were asking their employees to destroy the maps of archaeological sites when they were leaving a city. But let's go back very quickly to the first point. And I will give you two other examples illustrating the link between patrimony and humanity. A Christian friend of mine from Aleppo I was interviewing spoke to me. I'm talking um, I think it's two years ago when the minaret was destroyed, the Omeyyad minaret, um, told me, spoke to me of his great sadness at the destruction of the minaret of the great Omeyyad mosque in his own city. We all knew that building and thanks to you we saw pictures of it this morning. That symbol's destruction, sorry, he said to me, thousands of children played in that courtyard when we were at peace. That symbol's destruction is a second death for them and for us, uh, all of us. He answered without any hesitation when I was asking about his feelings. For him, even though he was not a Muslim, it was clear that the monument counted as a real person. We can be sure that it's the same feeling for all the Syrians and Iraqis I met during my researches. They, they all miss the destroyed villages and places of worship, also Christians and Yazidis of northern Iraq. Then I would like to say a few words about Father Abuna Najib that you mentioned a few minutes ago. He's a charismatic character, I can tell you. I don't know if he came here to talk, but it's, it would be a good idea to invite him of whom some of you will have certainly heard. A man I consider exceptional for our times. He is the incarnation of that possible junction between cultural heritage and human being, outside his function of being a man of God. Abuna Najib is a Dominican priest of Chaldean origin. The Eastern Chaldean Rite 
is the largest, largest sorry, among Iraqi Christians. Ancient books and manuscripts have always captivated him. He was born in 1955. Here is his story, very briefly. In the beginning of the 90s, 90s, when the situation was becoming worrisome for Christians in the north of Iraq and for a lot of communities also, already he undertook to collect thousands of manuscripts in Syriac, Armenian, Hebrew and Arabic. First to preserve them, then to scan and digitalize them. His library was in Mosul. That's the library we saw before. Every week, he would set out for the villages of Kurdistan and the plain of Nineveh to examine whatever documents still remained. In 2007, he was forced to leave Mosul under the pressure of the Salafists. His library was then moved to Karakosh, as we saw, a Christian city located 60 kilometers east of Mosul. At that time, I went to visit him, just as other among my colleagues did. It was magnificent to see his center of preservation living again. He had begun a program of scan to scan hundreds of books, around 8,000 documents. Then war came again. When ISIS took Mosul, 16 of June 2014, and then Karakosh, the following weeks, at the beginning of August 2014, he decided to move everything all over again. He was one of the last to leave Karakosh, just as the forces of the black flag were arriving. As he was leaving, he piled up hundreds of ancient books and manuscripts in the cars that were leaving with him and entrusted whatever he could take with him to the dozens of families who were also leaving, telling them this is your heritage, your history. Let's not leave it behind us. That was how Bibles from the 10th century traveled to Erbil. Even a few very old Korans. In the boot of family cars. Those people risked risks, their lives for those books. Several times they thought that Isis was going to catch them. And yet, in the end, once they arrived in Erbil, not a single manuscript was missing. This anecdote shows that it is possible to concretely relate the preservation of heritage to modern-day problematic of exile. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Bubbles. Um, modern-day problematic of exile. Of course, these books were transportable objects, not stones, not monuments. Let's not forget also, as an example, the important acts of preservation carried out in 1915 in Anatolia with many Armenian books. Now, with times, their presence diffused national pride, a way for the various people to connect to an history that unites them. I'm thinking especially of the famous book of Mush, Homilies, 
a city in Eastern Anatolia which was saved in 1915 by women who cut it in two pieces and carried it with them during their exile to the Russian zone. Remember that that book weighed 27 and half kilograms and dates, dates sorry, from the beginning of the 13th century. It's now, now one of the treasures, treasures sorry, of the Institute of Ancient Manuscripts in Yerevan. For the historian that I am also, certain details of that story are not very clear. There remains areas of vagueness. And even if the tale is a part of a legend, that does not matter. It means something. It illustrates the indestructible bound we are all trying to describe this morning. The bond that can exist between a community and its heritage. Let's not underestimate that idea. I can, it can allow people, it can allow a people to reform after war, either in exile or in their villages, if they are able to return one day. I'm thinking of the possibility to rebuild churches and Yazidi temples. But that's another story. Abuna Najeb is now taking care of several refugees camp in Iraqi Kurdistan. And he has organized schools so that education can go on. He's trying to mix communities together in the same building, Christians, Yazidi and Sunni people. Moreover, a large exhibit of those books I've held was held in Paris last summer under the patronage of the French National Archives. An exhibit that it meant to travel to show that despair is not predestined. Then I will finish on that a few words about Tourabdin. So let's comment a few those pictures. So uh, Christian villagers in in the 1970s and 80s. Uh, in northern Iraq. So you see that patrimony can also be something we can't really hold or, or like traditions, like clothes. I mean, it's a, it's a very large definition, but I think it's important to consider it also. One of the Yezidi temple which has been destroyed, maybe the one that you showed this uh, a few moments ago, um, pictures showing that life. This is Karakosh uh, last summer. And for me, again, all that is part of heritage also, which we need to think to preserve, especially in the diaspora now, when they're going to come here in Western Europe. They need school, for instance, so they can still practice their own language, which is a Syriac, uh, an Aramaic language. So this is an interesting picture, because this is Marmatai, uh, uh, St. Matthew, St. Matthew, in the vicinity of Mosul. So apparently it has been uh, uh, freed by the Peshmerga, but I'm not really sure about that. Um, it shows something which is very important, because you see that the buildings are kind of new, restored. It means, equally with Turabdin, which is the south seat of Turkey, which is very close from this region, I mean, I'm talking a time with no borders, of course, of the Ottoman empires, um, that for the last 10 years, there was hope. So those churches, those local people, had the courage to invest in their own buildings. 
We can see it, of course, also that the restoration are too important, are also could be destructive, but this is from an archaeological point of view. It's, it's not easy sometimes to, to say that, but sometimes when you restore too fast, you, you do some bad work also sometimes. Anyway, this is uh, the path, uh, so you can see it's mountainous, and we see the monastery over there. I'm very sorry for the... You see the monastery there? So it's very difficult to reach them, to go there, but they went there. Um, this is another monastery near uh, Alkosh, uh, Rabban Ormez, in the in, not in the mountains, but like this kind of monastery, like a few kilometers. And you see again that the walls are, are standing. There was a community living there until a year ago. In the same time, I'm so sorry. Okay. It's a little bit ridiculous, but it's important to see that this is in Turabdin, this is in uh, southeastern Turkey, that you have a monk here who was born in Turkey, who went uh, in Western Europe, in, in, in Denmark, I think, um, and now he's back in Turkey. He's back to live there as a monk. And he reopened a monastery here, Saint Eugène, Mor Ogin, which is like 50, 60 kilometers to those places in northern Iraq. So, of course, they are aware of what, one day what can happen to them. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Abuna Aho in, in a small monastery called uh, Moriakub on Mount Islo, which is a very beautiful place. Uh, and it looks very happy to be back. It was taken last June. But now I wouldn't go again there because there was a war starting the 24th of July against the Kurdish uh, PKK in that zone. And again, those monasteries are right in the middle of the battle. And I'm, finish, I'm finishing with that beautiful um, pictures of the synagogue of Alkosh I was referring to, and I will finish on that. It's a beautiful story because it's a synagogue in a Christian village. Um, so the Chaldean community was taking care of that building since 1948 when they, they left uh, northern Iraq. And it was a pilgrimage place for everyone, for the Muslim, for the Jewish people who were not coming but in the old days, and for Christian people also. As you can see, among very important and interesting Hebraic inscriptions, I don't know if you see them well, People were coming and leaving some, um, I would say, in things on papers to have uh, a good, good uh, wishes. This is a tomb of uh, Namid Naum, I think. I don't want to say uh, Namid Naum, Naum, the prophet of the Old Testament. And I'm going to finish on that beautiful picture. It's not. It's not uh, the destruction are not by war by this. Uh, present war, the destruction is also as a result uh, another war, which is a war of, uh, I would say, ignorance and silence, because nobody wants to take care of that building. Thank you very much for your attention.